0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at WrestlingWithJohnners.com. And hello again, wrestling fans. Welcome to another edition of This Week in History. This is the week where we end up hitting the reset button and looking at things a little bit different than what we had been in the past. We've made our cycle through and we're going to be uh, looking at uh, things a little more in-depth. we got two uh, Superstar Spotlights. We have uh, two uh, breakdowns of some pay-per-views, uh, including the disastrous uh, WCW K 99. Yes, sorry about that, but, hey, not everything has got to be perfect. We're going to look at some birthdays uh, leading into the Superstar Spotlights, title changes, and other events that happen. Now, I thank you for joining us on YouTube and Facebook, or listening to us on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart Radio, or anywhere else to get your podcasts from. As you can tell, we're just hours away from Christmas, depending on when you celebrate, if it's on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Well, I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, and we're going to uh, enjoy some deep dive into the rich history of our great sport, as Tony Giovanni would like to say. But we can't do that until we go over to Niagara Falls and bring in Jonesy. Jonesy, how are you this evening?
1: Not too bad. It's, uh, as you said, close to Christmas. I already did uh, kind of uh, our Christmas, so that's done and out of the way, and uh, here I am.
0: Yeah, my wife uh, uh, has to work uh, tomorrow, Christmas Eve, until about 3 o'clock, and then we're hitting the road and uh, heading down to Windsor to be with her family. It's just going to be basically the four of us for uh, Christmas and uh, obviously also the dog. Uh, So Frank will be uh, having backyard to run in and enjoy the holidays together over the next couple days. Um, Yeah, just hope everybody... uh, Stay safe, even with the uh, different shutdowns, depending on where you are in this world, and listen to us, whether you're here in Canada or over in the UK with our friends from Johnners joining us through our connections there. But uh, yeah, so we're going to look at uh, some things. Still waiting to dig out the uh, magazines, and we're going to integrate that into our format uh, as time goes on. But I made up some more uh, new graphics, uh, compiling some stuff together so we can just zip through some uh, highlights and then get into some meteor parts of uh, some of the events that happened during the week. And it's going to be the week of the 17th of December to December 23rd, which is tonight. So, uh, yeah, if you're ready to go, we can start off with title changes.
1: All right. The title changes. Uh, of course, this is December 18th, uh, The and this is the year 2000. Uh, the Rock and Undertaker win tag team titles from Edge and Christian. We had uh, on that uh, same day, but in 2010, Roderick Strong wins the ROH Championship. December 19th, uh, 2000, Edge and Christian uh, win back their tag titles from The Rock and Taker uh, after losing them, I think it was the previous week. And December uh, 19th, 2009, the Briscoe Brothers uh, won the ROH tag titles from the American Wolves. And finally on the list, I believe, is December 19th, 2010, Edge uh, wins the WWE world title in a TLC match over Kane, Del Rio, and Mysterio. And uh, I believe Sean is going to take us a little bit through that match.
0: uh, Sure. Uh, So the main event uh, was part of the uh, TLC uh, that year, uh, in 2010 on uh, December 19th. And the main event rivalry uh, from SmackDown involved Kane against Edge, Rey Mysterio, and Del Rio in a world uh, heavyweight championship. In October, Edge was named the number one contender for the WDF, or, Sorry, the World Heavyweight Championship. In his quest uh, for the title, Edge abducted and physically tormented Kane's father, Paul Bear. And so those were some interesting skits there uh, where he was even uh, locked up in a uh, refrigerator and uh, tied to chairs. And, and it looked like some of... A little bit like how they did Tim White and uh, Josh Matthews with Tim White killing himself. who had uh, different things of where where was Paul Bearer and, and a, a bunch of skits backstage and where's Waldo type deal. And yeah, it was a little bit entertaining uh, what uh, Percy and uh, Adam were able to do for that. But uh, at the previous pay-per-view Survivor Series, Edge failed to claim the World uh, Championship after... Uh, The match ended in a draw uh, via double pinfall. With Edge uh, still in custody of Bear, he continued to uh, taunt Kane, leading uh, to a match on December 3rd's episode of SmackDown. Edge beat Kane as a result, determining the stipulation uh, to be a tables, ladders, and chairs match, a match that Edge uh, typically uh, pioneered and was well known for. Uh, for the World uh, Heavyweight Championship. On December 17th episode of SmackDown, General Manager Teddy Long added Rey Mysterio and Alberto Del Rio, who were previously in a rivalry themselves, and scheduled to be a uh, Chairs match. Instead, they were inserted into the uh, heavyweight title uh, match, and it was made a fatal four-ways for in TLC. As you see on the screen, they basically took two matches and threw it into one. During that match, uh, the title was up for grabs and dangling above the uh, ring. This match saw defending champion Kane take on all three men. Wasting little time, Mysterio set up the first ladder and climbed it, but uh, was pushed off by Del Rio and landed outside the ring on top of Kane and Edge. Del Rio uh, then tried to climb the ladder, but was stopped by Mysterio. Ray used the smaller ladder uh, to hit a seated senton on Del Rio with the latter sandwiching between them. Edge and Kane would uh, then go one on one for a while until Kane uh, turned his attention to everybody, which resulted in the other three participants teaming up on him, making it a three on one situation because the big red monster was unstoppable. Uh, after placing Kane on a table, uh, Del Rio and Mysterio took the opportunity to fight one on one themselves. Edge hit a spear on Mysterio and climbed the ladder. Kane pushed the ladder over, and Kane went on to dominate all three men. So they were doing a lot of exchanging back and forth uh, during that whole thing. And Edge returned to the ring where Edge uh, blocked Mysterio 619 with a chair. Mysterio and Edge both climbed the ladder, and both men fell to the canvas. During that time, Ricardo Rodriguez would climb up the ladder only to be chokeslammed by Kane del rio tried to uh, grab the title, but mysterio pushed the ladder sending del rio through the tables outside the ring mysterio was stopped from climbing the ladder by kane and received a tombstone piledriver during all this edge speared kane off the apron uh, through a table with all three men down edge climbed the ladder and grabbed the uh, world title for himself becoming the new champion so Definitely a action-packed uh, matchup there between uh, those four, and you know when you have somebody like Rey Mysterio and Edge, you can't go wrong. And of course, Del Rio and uh, Kane, really great uh, performers themselves.
1: Yeah, and I think by that time, set maybe Del Rio because I'm not sure they've all been in many ladder matches over their careers.
0: Oh yeah so yeah i would definitely uh, recommend going back and uh, checking that one out that's why i wanted to spotlight uh this title change as part of our uh, show and look deeper into that match instead of just saying hey edge one
1: all right there you go there's another uh match from the archive you can take a look at if you're looking for good matches uh and that's one of the thing about the network and all that is you can go through history and just go, wow, that looks like a good match, and watch it. Uh, A lot of these matches I didn't ever see because I was kind of on and off again watching uh, all the uh, wrestling because, good Lord, there was so much of it. Uh, We're going to take a look at the birthdays for the week. Uh, December 17th is Nick Dinsmore, who played Eugene, of course. He is 45. Uh, December 18th is a bunch of birthdays. Uh, William Welch. Uh, the Messiah uh, turns 44. Uh, he's an independent, I believe. Is he an independent?
0: Yeah. I'm not too familiar
1: with him. No. Okay. Yeah. He's the independent then. Uh, December 18th, Rob Van Dam turns 50. Yay for him. Uh, December 18th is also Steve Austin who turns 56. And we're going to take a look at him very shortly. And then on that same day, December 18th, but, um, 10 years uh, after he was born, Trish Stratus was born, and she is now 46.
0: Yeah, and she's... uh, Sorry, go ahead. She's supposed to be showing up at the uh, activity event in uh, Toronto later on this week, provided it's happening.
1: Yeah, I somehow don't think it will
0: be, but hey, you never know. Yeah. Well, as you said, uh, Steve Austin, his birthday... We're going to spotlight Steve Austin and his career and uh, look at uh, some of the things. If you see on the screen, just the mass amounts of things here. Uh, Obviously, born December uh, 64, so he's 57, 19 championships, uh, 1996 King of the Ring, three-time Royal Rumble winner, 2009 Hall of Fame. Fifth uh, man to be uh, win a triple crown in WWF, main evented three WrestleManias, six-time WWF champion, two-time Intercontinental champion, four-time tag team champion, one-time million-dollar uh, champion, as when he came in, two-time WCW TV champion, two-time U.S. champion, 2 ta- uh, one-time WCW World Tag Team champion and one-time NWA world tag team champion. So that's a lot of gold for a guy who, you know, just started liking wrestling uh, after seeing you at the Sportatorium. So we'll uh, run through some of his stuff if you want to uh, start and then I can uh, join in.
1: All right, uh, we'll so, He was born Stephen James Anderson, and uh, later it was changed to Steve Williams after his mother's second marriage. Uh, The uh, first uh, wrestling event he watched uh, when he was younger was the Houston Wrestling, and it was run by Paul Biosh or Bosch Biosh. Bosch, Bosch. There you go. Uh, And uh, Austin would later uh, profess that uh, he fell in love with in. he fell in love with the business when he was seven or eight years old. And uh, ever since then, all he's wanted to do is be a professional wrestler. Um, so he um, wrestling was the biggest thing in his life. And uh, he attended when he attended university. He lived about uh, 30 miles away from the Dallas Sportatorium, a um A building that a lot of people describe as a magnificent, magnificent. oh my God, why can't I say this word? Magnificent, that's better, shithole of the building uh, where world-class championship wrestling, WCCW, ran shows on Friday nights. Uh, Steve is uh, widely regarded as one of the greatest and most influential professional wrestlers of all time. Um, I agree with that statement for the most part. Uh, I personally don't think he was that great in the ring, even before his injury. I think he just was great at presenting what he knew, um, where there's a much better wrestlers out there than him. uh, But... Again, it came to a point where the guy didn't even have to wrestle. He still doesn't have to wrestle nowadays, and people just want to see the guy. Um, And the thing is, he probably could wrestle if he really wanted to. He's just chosen not to now because I remember at least 10 years ago when he was doing the um, uh, Tough Enough that season, uh, he actually got in the ring and had a match with one of the new guys in, in the ring. I mean, they weren't doing fancy stuff, but still, I mean, he was taking a couple of hits and stuff like that. So,
0: um, yeah, no, thanks to uh, things like DDPY uh, being able to do that. And, you know, for myself, I loved, uh, Austin from, uh, the moment I basically saw him uh, have matches with steamboat and, uh, sting and stuff like that, because, That was when he was a real technical wrestler and why they brought him in as the uh, ringmaster because of his technical ability. If it wasn't for the pile driver with Owen, who knows where uh, we've gone. But looking uh, a little bit more into uh, Steve, Austin started his professional wrestling career after playing uh, college football for the University of North Texas. He became stunning Steve Austin in World Championship Wrestling from 1991 to 95, using the char- character as a handsome man who relied on his good looks and uh, flowing blonde hair. As you see in this picture, man had long blonde hair that you would never realize if you were a new fan. But this is Steve Austin compared to the uh, beer-swigging, ass-kicking, runhole stomping uh, redneck that you have now. He had
1: a class, he had a
0: classier start. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Steve would uh, start out as a member of Paul Heyman's Dangerous Alliance. This is one of the reasons why I kind of like them. Uh definitely, uh, all these guys, Paul Heyman guys. You see what Paul Heyman looks like now compared to then, carrying around that brick cell phone. But you had really great talent all there. Uh, involving Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, the late Bobby Eaton, and, of course, Steve. Medusa was part of the uh, package as well. The Dangerous Alliance were the cool heels before the cool heels existed with uh, guys like the NWO and Outsiders. So he made up one half of the tag team with Brian Pillman, uh the hollywood blondes and uh that was a thrown together tag team that was not supposed to happen uh basically but they decided to make it work decided to get matching trunks uh whole gear they started uh they got the necklace that they uh that steve still wears to this day uh that was a gift for brian and he uh, still holds that uh true So the team would uh, prove to be popular with the fans to the point where WCW felt the need to break them up. Austin would turn on Pillman and then join Colonel Robert Parker. Wait, wait, wait! wait,
1: wait. What's that? They broke them
0: up because they were popular. Go figure, WCW. Don't let a good thing go to waste. Let's just if if
1: it's not screwed up, we got to screw it up.
0: Yeah, they were going going well, and fans were enjoying their uh, combo. But, oh, nope, because they were getting popular, shut it down. And Austin remained heel, turned on Pillman, joined uh, Robert Parker in the stud stable. And then uh, he ended up uh, feuding with Pillman and having great battles with Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat. Really great time for him, I'd say, uh, during that run in 95, for sure, except for that uh, – Unfortunate time where he ended up uh, losing to Duggan in a couple seconds with the, I believe it was the U.S. title. Uh, Just a three-point stance and done because Steamboat couldn't wrestle, and he deserved a lot better that night, that's for sure.
1: Especially when you got to lose to Duggan. No offense to Duggan. I think the world of Duggan, the the person behind the gimmick, but Duggan – God, what a bull... Not boring, just boring match to watch.
0: His matches and his style were better for uh, suited for a early 80s and back uh, style of wrestling. So, so I do then, think
1: he accomplished a hell of a lot more in WCW
0: than he did in WWF. Yeah, though he did win the very first Royal Rumble, Duggan did. Mm. But getting back to Austin... Uh, Austin was fired by Bischoff after, uh, suffering a triceps injury while wrestling on a Japan tour. Bischoff and WCW did not see Austin as a marketable wrestler because God forbid you market somebody wearing black trunks and black boots. Can't do that. No,
1: they have to be yellow. Then it's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: And my God, if you see that picture, that actually looks like a bad, um, uh, geez photoshop (laughs) looks like a bad photoshop of hair on him it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be there
0: yeah he was uh, battling a lovely receding hairline even when he went over to ecw so uh yeah he ended up uh, getting fired by fedex and uh he went over to ECW for a very short time, and that was when ECW was having a relationship with WWE and uh, trading people back and forth type deal. Uh, and that was in late '95. He made parodies of Hogan and uh, Bischoff and everything like that. And then he ended up signing with uh, the WWF, and was foreshadowed by Ted DiBiase coming. Um, where we'll talk about that on in the Monday Night Wars. But DiBiase said he was bringing somebody in, and sure enough, it was Steve Austin and was uh, deemed the million dollar champion and given the name the ringmaster. It sounds too much like a P.T. Barnum thing, but uh, he made it work. And if you go and find. He didn't
1: have to wear a big top hat.
0: Very true. But if you go and find this uh, segment that's on uh, the screen right now with Brother Love, Bruce Pritchard, and Ted. Uh, there's a part where Austin's like wanting the pe- the people to reach out to their screens and touch their screens and feel his power and all this other stuff. It was almost like uh, evangelist uh, stuff. Then the following uh, year, having grown his goatee out and everything, he ended up winning. The uh, King of the Ring in 93 got rid of Ted DiBiase, who ended up going over and being part of the NWO, and uh, that was history for him. Uh, But he also got into feuds with uh, Vince McMahon. He repackaged himself as Stone Cold Steve Austin. After changing his character, he gained significant mainstream popularity, uh, especially after doing the Austin 316 Uh, speech after winning the King of the Ring and just next thing you know, you're seeing signs all over the place. It was actually the first t-shirt I bought uh, of Wrestling Apparel was his uh, t-shirt. He'd, of course, go on to his match with WrestleMania 13 and Bret Hart uh, that definitely put him on the map in the I Quit uh, match that he never quit. He had blood uh, pouring down and passed out as you see here. Skyrocketed uh, through the rankings and won the WWE Championship or WWF Championship from Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14. He went on to battle Vince McMahon. uh, And they started that actually before WrestleMania 14 when they brought in Mike Tyson. And uh, he double uh, birded him and got into a scrum that way, just showing his lack of uh, respect for authority. And And that's why they loved them, Of course. And so with his battles against Vince McMahon, The Rock, Undertaker, Foley, and Triple H, it would be key to defeating WCW in the Monday Night Wars. But then right after that ended, WrestleMania 17, he's shaking hands with Vince and his ill-fated wanting to turn heel and uh, listening to things like uh, Grilling JR uh, when – conrad's asking jr about that whole switch they're just like yeah it wasn't the best idea but austin wanted to do it he wanted to be fresh and they figured everything that austin did to help them get to the point where they were they kind of owed it to him to at least try and go from there and no wasn't that great he was also injured and so he got put into skits with uh kurt angle doing uh his little cowboy hats and singing uh, the home on the range and everything doing more comedy and Deborah was by their side. Uh, but he did uh, get into a lovely feud and I with Booker T and if you find the grocery store brawl and then I think it was the week after they went chasing through, uh, a church and playing bingo and Booker's hiding from Austin. And I don't both remember those, the bingo. <laughs> both those days were awesome because uh, Booker ended up getting a, a bingo line uh, during that while hiding out uh, with <laughs> the little old ladies. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, worth uh, checking out those uh, moments. And then he ended up uh joining the Alliance and going back to WCW and ECW to be a heel against WWF and still didn't work out that way. I think just fans wanted to have Steve as a face and they couldn't uh, do anything with that. And then, of course, all his injuries piled up and unbeknownst to everybody, WrestleMania 19, his match against The Rock, He had way too many Red Bulls the night before. had to go to the hospital uh, with issues uh, that way. Um, But with his neck from the Owen incident in 97, and then his knees giving out on WrestleMania 19 was his goodbye, basically, and nobody knew about it. And, uh, yeah, if you want to finish off with that last paragraph about Austin
1: Uh, is he done following uh, following his career is that where we're going
0: yeah
1: uh Uh, he started a podcast and it was named or is named the uh, steve austin show and uh released in uh ipa beer called the broken skull ipa Uh, i'm not sure if that's still available i imagine Uh, Steve has had mild success in movies, including The Longest Yard. Yeah, I definitely would say mild success. Um, He's not a bad actor. I just, he's not given great scripts. Uh, The Condemned, Recoil, Tactical Force. Oh, man, these are horrible titles. And Grown Ups 2, which uh, I seen Grown Ups 1 and it was crap uh, as far as i'm concerned uh, uh austin uh, hosted a reality competition series steve austin's broken skull challenge and there is interference right now i'm not sure that's from you sean or not but uh steve austin's a broken skull challenge from 2014 and 17 and has been the star of straight up steve austin since 2019 and now he does the broken skull sessions uh, on WWE, they are worth a watch. Um, no matter who he's uh, interviewing, it's a pretty good uh, watch.
0: Yeah, he said Undertaker,
1: Kane, Booker. And there's still an interference uh, happening.
0: There we go. Now it's gone. And it's back. Yeah, so this is apparently on my end. If uh, you want to carry on with the show for a moment.
1: Absolutely, Sean's gonna probably mute himself or whatever, and we're gonna we're gonna go to the events for this week. Uh, December seventeenth to um, nineteen ninety five was WWF in Your House Five, uh, which looks like the main event was Brett against uh, the British Bulldog. December seventeenth two thousand was WCW Starcade uh it that was getting close to the end for them they had maybe another um actually yeah that was getting real close to the end that about three four more months to go so i can't imagine it was a good stargate at all um december uh 17th 2006 was wwe armageddon uh and also on december 18th we had another armageddon in 2005 um which of course Batiste is on the uh, picture there. And SmackDown brand exclusive pay-per-view from the Dunkin' Donut Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I don't believe that's where Family Guy lives, or maybe they do. Yeah, it is Providence, it, Rhode Island. Uh, I'm
0: going to check out just for a second, and I'll let you run this, and we'll be right back.
1: Sure. 8,000 uh, were in attendance with uh, uh, 320,000 buy rate, which is pretty good for the time. Uh, uh, so, th- we're taking a look at that um, pay-per-view from the Dunkin' Donut Center. Um, on commentary was Taz and Michael Cole. Uh, I l- like Taz on uh, commentary. I really like him in AEW. Uh, prior to the pay-per-view, Joe, uh, Jamie Noble defeated Frenaki on Saturday Night Heat and the first match uh, on the card was matt hardy and brad uh john brad shaw layfield jbl with jillian hall uh jbl would uh have most of the offense for the entire match uh, uh because hardy got caught up uh in the ropes neck first between between the top and the bottom rope and stayed there for quite a while Uh, He uh, preceded that choke and kicked the crap out of him. And um, the win went to JBL um, after the clothesline from hell. Uh, Probably not the greatest match because personally, JBL was another one of my favorites. Uh, He just, I thought it was fairly boring to watch wrestling. But hey, that's my opinion. So who cares about my opinion? The second match, of the Mexi-Cools, which was Super Crazy in Psychosis, faced Eminem, Joey Mercury, and Johnny Nitro with Melina. Uh, the um, winner of that match, uh, which ended with Super Crazy executing a moonsault on Mercury, but Nitro uh, broke the pinfall, leading to the snapshot for the win. Which... Uh, Third match here was Booker T uh, with Charmel facing Chris Benoit in a match. um, It was the uh, match for the best of seven series. This was the second time they did a Best of Series that did it in WCW, which was pretty fantastic, and then in the WWE. And I will let Sean uh, take this over because he remembers a lot of these matches where I do not remember a lot of these matches, uh, so he'll be much better uh, trying to go through the mat- uh, but what happened in the matches. Go ahead there, Sean.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, speaking of that uh, Best of Seven Series, WWE found a way of screwing it up because they ended up ending it with Orton being involved in the whole thing as well, and replacing people and scoring pinfalls. I was losing uh, for somebody. I think it was uh, losing for Booker T a couple times, and, and yeah, just a really weird thing. Definitely uh, going with the uh, WCW side of uh, their best of seven compared to the WWF version. But uh, as you said, uh, there was uh, this was match number four of seven uh, for the vacant uh, title. Uh, there were multiple chops and suplexes uh, for both wrestlers. They seemed to be a little uh, off their game, however, during that match, floundering a bit at times. Several crossface attempts uh, as well as a low-blow uh, scissors kick combination from Charmel and Booker all failed to win the match for uh, both wrestlers. With uh, Booker down, Benoit executed his diving headbutt, which now we know should not be doing that because he was actually making contact and scrambling his brains, uh, only to uh, get a near fall. Benoit once again went uh, for the crossface, but this time Booker uh, rolled through and hit referee Jimmy Corderas. Benoit was uh, quick to apply the sharpshooter, forcing Booker to submit, uh, but the referee was out. Charmel came in and hit Benoit with the uh, with a broom, and did uh, not affect him at all. Sorry, needed a cough. Uh, as he was distracted, Booker uh, attacked Benoit, setting up for uh, the bookend, which was reversed into a DDT, and Benoit forced Booker to submit to the crossface and pick up the victory. The fourth match of the night saw Bobby Lashley facing up against William Regal and Paul Burchill in a two-on-one handicap match. So even then, the almighty Bobby Lashley was dominating people uh, in multiple people matches uh, with the odds against him. Lashley was in control for most of the match, and he used his dominator on Burchill to pick up the win. Can I ask
1: who the hell
0: would want to watch that match? Who booked that? Yeah, no like, idea. Like I'm sorry, no offense,
1: William Regal. He does fantastic matches if he's with someone that's technical. If not technical, no. Why? Why are you putting him in there? And par Paul Birchhill, like <laughs> I don't think he was the pirate at that time. Whether or not it's, it's just like. It, he's almost a jobber as far as i'm concerned yeah uh, william Regal, you know he's a middle card guy even though he could definitely hold the title but he's more of a middle card guy and i mean holding the title i mean a major big one not on a yeah. us title or something
0: so yeah the, <laughs> that's all good uh, the fifth match of uh, the uh, night had Hoobie Guerrero facing off against Kid Cash for the Cruiserweight Championship. In the end, Cash went for a uh, springboard moonsault, but caught a pair of knees to the midsection. Hoovy then executed a hurricanrana off the top rope and hit a Hoobie driver for a two count. Cash then countered uh, a front flip leg drop uh, with a uh, dead level to win the title. So new champion right there and yeah you want to uh, tell about the main event the sixth match
1: uh, if you want to only because i didn't i didn't get to watch this match oh, okay. um, beforehand i actually watched the Hooventude kid cash i thought it was okay but wwf or sorry wwe uh, their commentary for those type of matches believe it or not i rather mike tenne for these type of matches.
0: Understandable. And now it looks like they're getting ready of the Cruiserweight uh, division over on uh, NXT anyways. So who knows what's going on with that. Uh, the main event in the sixth match of the night was WWE tag team champions, Ray Mysterio and world uh, heavyweight champion, Batista. He was also uh, one half of the tag team ta- champions with uh, Ray. Faced off against world tag team champions Big Show and Kane in an interpromotional tag team champion versus champion match. Each team demonstrated their uh, strength, with Mysterio being the only one uh, being the odd man out uh, in that whole thing, uh, considering the other three are power guys. The match evolved into a brawl with Batista and Big Show wrestling uh, over the broadcast table, as Mysterio hit a six-one-nine on Kane. And went for the West Coast pop, but Kane caught him in midair, chokeslammed him, and picked up the victory for Kane and uh, Big Show. Actually, that was the match before the main event. The main event of the evening, though, was Undertaker against Randy Orton in Hell in a Cell. And this in is one in-
1: I did watch uh, actually this morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, Hell in a Cell not actually at a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view where it was needed to be done as opposed to, oh, it's on the calendar. Let's time to force something. So, yeah, this was uh, Undertaker and Randy Orton. The May event uh, was fought inside the Hell in a Cell between the Undertaker and Orton. The build-up of the match began all the way back at WrestleMania 21. And so they were able to keep a feud going for quite a while, where Taker defeated Orton And uh, Orton was a raw superstar at the time in an interpromotional match. Then on June 16th episode of SmackDown during the draft, Orton was drafted over to SmackDown. And then in August at SummerSlam, Orton defeated Undertaker where he pinned him after an RKO following interference from Cowboy Bob Orton. This led to a handicapped casket match between Undertaker and the Orton's at No Mercy. At that event, Orton and his uh, father defeated Undertaker to set up the uh, and to set the casket on fire. The preceding month at uh, Survivor Series, the Undertaker returned and attacked several SmackDown superstars. Following the five-on-five Survivor Series match between Raw and SmackDown, Orton had won the match for the SmackDown and was able to escape the attack just in time. Then, on December second episode of SmackDown, Undertaker called uh, Orton. Uh, to face him inside Hell in Cell at Armageddon, and the match was made official. And you said you saw this match, so want to talk about? Yeah, I, I'm not going
1: to go too deep into the details of the match. Uh, the The beginning of the match, of course, Bob Orton was on the outside, and he did interfere in the match uh, some. It was quite amusing when Undertaker finally did get a hold of him through the uh, I'm not sure if those are camera port holes that they have cut out or that's for, you know, when they're putting it together. I'm not sure. But anyways, they they got some of the fence that they use for the uh, hell in the cell cut out. And anyways, so he grabbed him through that. Uh, That was uh, amusing. It was a really slow start to the match. Um, I'm personally not a huge fan of a lot of hell in the cell matches, especially the ones now. Uh, but this one was I think that the the latter half of the match was the good stuff. It got pretty bloody um for Randy Orton, kind of at the beginning. His uh um uh, his forehead got it, and then later Undertaker I think did get uh, bloodied a little bit, and uh as did um cowboy Bob Orton. And in fact, he got he, his uh uh he split his eyebrow and I think. That is because he's been split there so many times it just kind of popped open uh, during that match. Uh, Nick Patrick was in the ring for this one, and he got uh, taken out. And uh, I'll read some of this because I I can't remember all the details. Uh, Lots of the referees had to come down because I think two referees got taken out. And it was um, Charles Roderis like that was, I believe, the one that uh, made the uh, uh, pin, uh, counted the pin in the end. But uh, uh, Charles Robinson uh, was in there as well. Uh, the Undertaker executed a last ride on Orton, but Bob got, was in the Hell in the South at this point and broke up the pinfall, uh, leading the Undertaker to attack Bob. Uh, Undertaker attempted a pile, a tombstone piledriver on Orton, but Orton reversed it into a tombstone on Undertaker, which the crowd gasped. But uh, it was a near fall. Uh, Bob tried to get involved again, but Undertaker attacked Bob yet again, and Undertaker hit Bob and Orton with uh, the—I don't know what the hell that is. Um, urn, urn. Oh, that's supposed to be an urn. That's not spelled right. Anyways. And executed a tombstone on Bob. Uh, Undertaker executed a tombstone on Orton for the win. Uh, it, w- it was a pretty good match. Uh, lots of action. Uh, I I think it's one of the better ones. Uh, but you can fast forward through the first 5-10 minutes, I'd say.
0: Yeah, and Randy and Undertaker had uh, themselves quit the uh, battle uh, between each other. And so it went from WrestleMania all the way... Uh, the rest of the year, pretty much. So you can't go wrong when uh, two now legends are uh, going at it. So I'll head us over to our look back at the Monday Night Wars, and we'll look at the uh, December 18th, 1995 episode.
1: All right, so this is the 95 edition of Raw's War. And it uh, was at the Bob Carpenter Center in Newark, Delaware. Uh, the match is on it. Uh, the dark match. There was a dark match. It was Bret Hart, Razor Ramon, and The Undertaker defeating Isaac Yankum. Uh, DDS, Sid, and Yokozuna. Um, that's a pretty pretty good uh, main event for them. Uh, on the actual um, show itself, Jeff Jarrett defeated Fatu via DQ. Buddy Landell defeated Bob Holly, and Razor Ramon defeated Yokozuna by count out to retain the
0: WWF IC belt. And I believe this is when Raw was only an hour. Yeah. The, both of these shows were just an hour at the time. And uh, during the show, we also had uh, Gorilla Monsoon make the announcement about uh, Shawn Michaels returning and, uh, Entering the Royal Rumble because there was uh, the whole, oh my God, he uh, collapsed and is he going to ever return type deal? Or actually, no, his career was in uh, question because later on they ended up uh, showing the uh, Tell Me a Lie video to wrap up (laughs) the show with uh, Sean. Oh, yeah,
1: that's a classic. Tell me a lie.
0: And then, of course, we had uh, what I mentioned earlier during the uh, uh, look at Steve Austin. Teddy Biassi was on the Brother Love Show and uh, was saying about him bringing in uh, somebody uh, and was going to be uh, the new million-dollar champion and was foreshadowing Steve Austin's arrival. So that was uh, everything on... Uh, raw, and of course, unfortunately, the main event ended with uh, interference. I believe Undertaker got involved there, and Yoko was way too out of shape for this match, and Scott Hall had to carry him, thankfully not physically uh, carry him, but get him through that match. Over on WCW Nitro! Nitro.
1: All right, I, I, I'm doing this one as well? Yeah. All right, uh, this one was in Augusta, Richmond, uh, County Civic Center, and it was December 18th, 95 as well. Uh, Rick Flair defeated Eddie Guerrero. Uh, right away, this is already a better card. Uh, Lex Luger, uh, with Jimmy Hart at his side, defeated Marcus Alexander Begwell with Scotty Riggs uh, on his side. And that was a short match at just over three minutes. Before he became buff. Sorry? Before he became buff. Yes, before he became buff. Uh, Sting defeated Earl uh, Robert Eaton with Jeeves, and that was another short match of four minutes. Uh, The Giant with Jimmy Hart and Taskmaster defeated Randy Savage by DQ in a WCW World Heavyweight Championship match. And that was only seven minutes and 30 seconds. A lot of these matches on, especially the earlier ones are quite short matches. Uh, Later on, they develop into having at least one semi long match, you know, that would go through commercials. Uh, And there's a bunch of dark matches on that show as well. And uh, man, uh, why wouldn't you put Zodiac on TV defeating Disco Inferno? I just don't know. Yeah. And, uh, Johnny B. Bad defeated Diamond Dallas Page, and that was before DDP really broke out. Um, he was getting there, but he was still kind of, you know, under the radar. And uh, the other dark match on that card was Blue Bloods, um, which was a R- Earl Robert Eaton and Lord Stephen Regal defeating Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. Um, again, kind of a boring match, but in the same, it's a not not too bad a match. I remember they that these guys fought many times on uh um Saturday Saturday night and uh the the team of bunkhouse buck and dick slater actually wasn't too bad. In fact, they held the titles I do believe they yeah. won They're, on WCW decent, Saturday night.
0: Decent tag team there for sure. Um some of the uh, highlights of uh, that whole thing was the show kicked off actually with the recently fired Medusa showing up as uh, she had just been released by WWE along with all the rest of the women and they forgot to get the title back from her as they sent uh, Medusa on her way or Blaze, and she uh, got a call up from Eric Bischoff and this is how Nitro started the night with her uh, saying she's back where the big boys play and where the big girls play toss the championship in the garbage Uh, Refrigerator Perry was supposedly there and doing uh, security for everybody at the table uh, because he's friends with Mongo. And uh, they tried to stop Hogan uh, at the end of the show uh, who ended up attacking uh, the giant. And I did see a video that broke this whole thing down uh, with the show. And the guy put out a good sort of point. Hogan always said he was a bad guy. Bobby Heenan always said he was a bad guy. If you look at Hogan, he was. Oh, he He was was a bad guy. He was supposed to be a good guy, but that match with Randy Savage and uh, Giant ended with Hogan coming in and beating the piss out of uh, the Giant with a chair. Giant was a heel. Hogan was a uh, face. Why is the face doing that? All right, and then you'd see him do eye rakes and uh, back scratches and everything. What, why did we doubt Bobby Heenan ever about how horrible Hulk Hogan was? He was right to suspect that Hogan was going to be the uh on the other side when he was coming down uh, the aisle at Bash at the Beach, uh, just six months later and joining the Outsiders and forming the NWO.
1: If you look at, back at a lot of Hogan matches. Even in the WWF, he was a bad guy. He
0: Just, was
1: he was nice to the fans, but his tactics in the ring were those of a bad guy.
0: Well, he bullied Especially
1: if he didn't get his way. If he didn't get his way, look what he did to friggin' Sid at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know how, maybe it's because it was Sid he did it to, but that the crowd didn't boo him.
0: It was it was Sid at the press conference turning heel, basically, that set up that match for WrestleMania eight, Uh being ticked off that he wasn't named the one, number one contender. If it wasn't for that, there was no reason for Sid to turn heel. Hogan had cost him the thing. As you pointed out, he helped Ric Flair, a heel. Yes. The guy who cost him the title, he helped out to not allow Sid to have the title.
1: So I think it was a pretty good storyline for sit or someone's at my door. So if you just take that,
0: yeah, and I will be right back. No problem. So yeah, that's quite the uh, thing with uh, Hogan, and that's where we're going to uh, leave with the Monday Night Wars at the moment, and uh, we'll look at I think the following week. WWE did not have a show because uh, of being Christmas week, but WCW did have a show. So we'll uh, see what happened there. Or maybe next week on a show, we'll pick up another uh, time uh, during the wars, whether it's 97, 98, you know, all the way up to 2001. Uh, we can go through to find out what's all going on in the Monday Night Wars. So we'll see what our list uh, has for next week. But, uh, yeah, Hogan was always a heel, even as a uh, baby face. And that was a quick door. So we'll look at a couple more birthdays uh, before we get into our uh, second spotlight. And we have birthdays on December 19th for Former football player and made an appearance in WCW, Reggie White would have been 60 years old. December 19th also would have been the birthday of Mean Jean Orkland, turning 79. Mauro Ronaldo, Canada's own, December 21st would have been I mean, did turn 52. Biff <laughs> Music on uh, December 21st, all he was also known as Only Lorcan in uh, NXT. He just turned 36. You want to do the other three, Chris?
1: Sure. We got the, I have I have four here on, on the list. We have Otis, uh, December 21st. Uh, he is now 30. December 22nd is Luke Gallows. He is 38. December 23rd, Jamie Noble is 45. And also on December 23rd, we're going to take a look now at the great Muda, who is 59, and I believe he is now fully retired.
0: Yeah, you never know about Muda. He's over in Japan, and he he did do some stuff, I think, with Impact recently. And Tony Khan has the uh, forbidden door open. You never know if he'll show up uh, for a one-off in AEW. Even yeah, if, he, he could, he, and
1: hey, maybe he'll show up for a rumble one of these days. He's
0: younger than Sting, so and Sting is uh, still doing things on uh, AEW.
1: Wow, Sting should have hung those boots up a long time ago. No yeah. offense, no offense, Sting, but um, so we get Kenji M- uh, mudo uh, He was born December twenty third, nineteen sixty two. Uh, of course, he's a Japanese uh, professional wrestler and uh did do he is a former ghc heavyweight champion he's best known for his work as the great muda in new japan pro during the 90s and uh, less um, known for his uh continuous united states runs that he would do puerto rico mexico and taiwan he was the president of the all japan pro wrestling uh, and a full-time wrestler there from 2002 to 2013. Yeah, uh, most great-
0: people probably recognize Muda for the picture that's on the screen yes. with him having hair, blowing the green mist, and being with Gary Hart over and being in WCW and NWA. Yes.
1: Yeah, so uh, I mean, the look that he had in his last 10 years or so I think was a great look as well. But uh, this is the more traditional Muda that we knew. I hated when he had the green face paint on, but um, uh, he, he, was, he was like, um, especially if you didn't watch a lot of wrestling, he was one of those characters where you didn't re- need to know much. You just knew he was a bad guy. And since he was good at wrestling, he was entertaining. So he he was great for WCW to bring in for a lot of these big pay-per-views. Uh, of course, his best-known gimmick was uh, as the great Muda. There's been many different spellings of his name uh, throughout his whole career. Uh, but one thing he stayed consistent with is that green mist, uh, which I'm sure he's not the first guy to use it, but I think he's one of the ones that made it the most famous. Yeah. Uh, He was originally billed as the son of the Japanese wrestler, Great Kabuki, uh, who he's actually unrelated in real life. Uh, He uh, used the similar uh, gimmick, but uh, it didn't really connect with him. Um, And like his father, the Great Muda is a mysterious, manifested, uh, supernatural character who disguises himself through um, his macabre uh, looks and magical skills uh did you uh, just scroll too far here there we go uh his oh. move set his move set uh, with little variation his versions of the shining wizard is named the uh, sinko yachusu which is flash magic in english uh muda tends to be uh more aggressive and weapon friendly muda can also of course spit the green or red mist depending on his uh mood that day and he loved to play mind games. The Great Muda is uh, the gimmick course that most in the United States remember him for, uh, especially when he would wrestle for the NWA and later WCW. Uh, the, uh, the gimmick uh, kind of expanded during the 2000s in the promotion Hustle, uh, where he appeared in a storyline uh, where he gained a son in the form of the great Bono, played by Muda's wrestling trainee, Aki Bono, uh, forming a tag team uh, reminiscence of uh, Muda's team with his own father, uh, the great Kabuki. Some of the uh, elements uh, were later used in all Japan pro wrestling as well. He is, of course, considered uh, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, huge, uh, f- influential for the Japanese wrestlers, Uh, to help gain an international fan base. The great uh, Muda gimmick is um, also one of the most influential um, gimmicks out there. I'd say it's definitely in the top 10, at least for
0: that era. Yep.
1: And And as you see all his accolades
0: on the uh, screen here, 31 championships, owner of uh, Russell 1, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, WCW World Tag Team Champion, Triple Crown in uh, All Japan, IWGP Champion, NOAA uh, GHC Champion, five time All Japan Tag Team, six time New Japan IWGP Tag Team Champion. What is left for him to do? Hopefully, nothing. And yeah, great uh, talent there. Uh, I'm noticing our time, and yeah, we're going to get through uh, pay per view, uh, Starcade, but we have it really broken down. I don't think uh, need to do that. Uh, too no, much. I think it, we can just it, it was a horrible wiki on on this one
1: and talk about the real bad shit in this in this one. There was a bunch of other events uh, on that week, nothing that really is worth mentioning as far as uh, important things that happened. But WC Starcade 99, it was the 17th annual one. And um, I watched most of it and it's pretty shitty. It's just, it's just not r- that great of a uh, a, a card. Uh, the Mama Luke's uh, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull uh, went against the team of Disco and lash Rue. It, these matches were more fit for, say, Saturday night or something, not a pay-per-view.
0: Yeah, uh, and they had like 12 matches on this whole card, and uh, just a lot of garbage. I listened to uh, 83 Weeks uh, talk about this from last year, and Bischoff basically apologized for this card, even though he wasn't around. Uh, this was basically... Uh, uh, what's his name, Vince Russo lashing out at, uh, I guess, the wrestling world because he felt uh, held back by the powers that be and uh, whatever reason he was doing this event. And you had Duggan in uh, a match against Team Malenko. He was wearing his uh, garbage man suit and or cleaning suit, which he had found the uh, title in. Just garbage. And then you had a powerbomb match with uh, Kevin Nash and Sid. They had best matches against little guys compared to when big men go against each other. Uh, Horrible uh, on that front. You had uh, a decent match with uh, a bunkhouse uh, brawl with Dustin and uh, Jeff Jarrett. Only for Jeff Jarrett to go on later on in a ladder match against uh, Chris Benoit uh, for the uh, US Championship, I believe it was. Uh, Yeah, for the United States Championship. That was uh, just before the main event. You had Sting uh, trying to help Elizabeth, but he was aware that she was going to probably turn on him, so he replaced her can of mace with silly string, and luckily he did that because she hit him with the silly string, and their plot to go against Sting failed. Medusa ended up getting the Cruiserweight Championship over uh, Evan Courageous. Meanwhile, other events prior to uh, this for uh, Starcade had Dean Malenko in matches with Eddie Guerrero and others uh, to for the title. And instead, you have Medusa and Evan Courageous. Everything was just a bomb the whole show pretty much and even the varsity club got back together uh yeah they also that, had that Dark... was in the
1: duggan match they joined
0: duggan yeah and dr death against vampiro just garbage all along and they highlight basically of uh, the whole thing as the unfortunate train wreck that became the world title match with Goldberg and Brett. They were doing decent. Um, There was one point that was uh, mentioned in the 83 weeks that is food for thought, at least. Um, Not necessarily going to say it is, uh, and this is what they were saying as well. Brett did his figure four with Goldberg around the ring post, and it looks like he whacks his melon off the uh, cement or the floor, which is that one of the reasons why he got his concussion. Was it all Goldberg and his foot? Who knows? He's pretty sure that it was Goldberg and his foot. Eric Dreshoff uh, said that if that's what Brett uh, says it is and feels it was, who's he to deny it? But there's footage of him hitting his head when he did the uh, figure four, so it could have been part of that whole thing. Or it could have been just this lovely shot that we have here of Goldberg going full force through Brett's head.
1: You know, I watched that many, many times, and I'm sure it could have hurt, but he didn't make full contact. He pulled back once he actually made the full contact. He definitely pulled back, I think, too late but I, just the, how Brett reacted once he got hit it didn't it didn't look like Brett was caught off guard
0: yeah and then the match he definitely ended bit
1: um... like he had his head kicked off once he was on the mat but it just didn't it didn't seem as brutal as um and of course, we don't know but it just didn't yeah. it doesn't look as bad as what it turned out to be which was a concussion
0: yeah, and then uh, the match ended really weird with, uh, in sort of a redo of uh, the Montreal screw job, with Brett playing the role of Shawn Michaels, uh, Roddy Piper doing the Hebner thing, Goldberg playing Brett Hurt, and people left going, what's going on? And you could see at the end also uh, Brett looking really dazed as well. So he could have knocked himself silly multiple times during that whole thing. And as we... Know what the results were then. And the next night, uh, Russo tried to uh, give back life to the NWO, but with uh, the outsiders, Brett and Jarrett, didn't last long. And then, of course, uh, Brett had to forfeit the title the next night. Um, so that is Starcade 99 in a nutshell. Um, and
1: really, that was where they might have already been a sinking ship, but that's when you could actually really see it in their pay-per-views where Mayhem was overall a really good show, and then they delivered this stink.
0: Well, even if you look at their buy rates and stuff like that, and over uh, year over year, even pay-per-view to pay-per-view, and this one only had a uh, 100 and some odd buys, 100 and some thousand buys, should I say. Uh, as opposed to, I think, uh, another Starcade was 400 uh, plus, almost a half a million buys. Like, it definitely went downhill quickly. Uh, let's look at the other title changes that happened this week and wrap up with some uh, minor highlights.
1: All right. So the title changes, uh, December 19th. 1999, Chris Benoit wins the WCW United States title in a ladder match versus Jeff Jarrett at Stargate. On the 20th, uh, 1999, Bret Hart vacated the WCW championship due to a concussion. Uh, Also on the 20th in 2009, Tara beat ODB to win the TNA Knockouts Championship. Uh December 22nd, year 2000, Stevie Richards uh, beats Hardcore Holly for the WWF Hardcore Championship on Raw. And December 23rd, 1999, Mike Awesome beats Masato Tanaka to win the ECW Championship.
0: Some good title changes.
1: Yes, and, and I'm finally- sure that Mike Awesome... And Matis, Masato Tanaka match was decent because
0: they always had really good matches against each other. And uh, wrapping up with other highlights, December eighteenth, two thousand six, we saw the debut of Vladimir Kozlov. WWE presented the first ever Christmas from Iraq or Christmas from Baghdad, it was, what it was called. Uh, but this was spearheaded by. JBL after everything that happened with 9-11 and USO sort of tours, but December 20th 2003 was the first uh, Tribute to the troops Christmas from Iraq, whatever name they want to give it that happened NWO took over Nitro on December 22nd 1997 hard to believe it took them almost a year and a half before they took over Nitro uh, from their existence. They should have taken over Nitro earlier than that. Uh, and of course, ECW presented their final uh, event in history December 23rd, 2000 with Holiday Hell. All
1: right. Well, that was fun to go down, as always. Um, a lot of this history is. Um, uh, We get from Google, uh, some of sites, cage site seats, um, uh, and of course, all the people that have gathered this stuff up, wrote it down. Sean is one of those that uh, archived a lot of this for himself, and then Over the years, people have shared a lot of this, whether it's through podcasts or whatever. And then uh, people like me go and leech it and go, hey, that looks good. And then we repackage it and word it. And that's just the the truth. But uh, uh, a lot of this stuff never even knew happened over the years. So if you follow us, there's a lot of these guys, like Juventud Guerrero, that got into lots of good trouble, especially when he was with uh, WWE. And there's just a lot of great things that's happened uh of course if you want to know more always wikipedia is a fairly good source for this stuff uh and um you can always look it up if you're not sure if it's true Uh, most of this stuff we stand by because a lot of this stuff uh, i know sean knows and uh he has um over the year corrected uh some of the stuff that have gotten wrong And also, I've done a lot of uh, research to make sure that most
0: of this stuff is, in fact, fairly true. And you can uh, research a lot of it and uh, go back on the WD network or uh, different uh, things. Impact uh, has their uh, on-demand service and stuff like that. So you can check out some of these great events and uh, relive it yourself. We're just uh, happy you uh, join us. YouTube. Facebook, Stitcher, Spotify, Iron Radio, or anywhere you get podcasts from, go over to our store on uh, Pro Wrestling Tees. Buy one of the shirts. Not going to be here in time for Christmas, but you can always at least uh, tuck a, a note into somebody's Christmas card saying that they're getting a shirt from Pro Wrestling Tees and the Scumbags of Wrestling. So want uh, to thank you. And, of course, thank our sponsor, cool Bet. Stay cool, bet responsibly. Coolbet.com for gaming and casino games, sports betting and casino games. So thank you, Chris. We're, this is week one of uh, revamping the uh, format. We're going to look into it uh, for next week and see what was good this week. Can be tweaked and we'll uh, still present our in-depth look at the history of our great sport. So, from us, have a Merry Christmas. Toodles.